You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Soul Wars, Part 7. Enjoy. Father, we love you. We're here because you're amazing and there's no one like you. We're fellowshipping with you now. We didn't come to church. We are your church. We're your sons and your daughters and we're in your presence. And we're drinking deeply of your spirit right now. We're going to let your spirit quicken us right now, take us into whole new levels of life, new levels of health and strength and wisdom and understanding and authority. We thank you for it right now, Holy Spirit. Rivers of living water flowing from our spirit into our bodies. Thank you for quickening our mortal bodies right now. Thank you for quickening our understanding, for our minds being sharp and alert. Thank you for anointing our ears to hear your word this morning. Be glorified, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for unveiling more of Jesus to us now. It's in his name we gather. Amen. We're stronger today than we were last Sunday. We are. Because we've been abiding in him. And his word's abiding in us. And we're living daily in the consciousness of our union with him. We get up in the morning and we remind ourselves that God is living inside of me. Yes. Through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, my spirit's been made new and God has come to live in me. Is that true of you? Yes. yes, it is. How did that happen? By simple faith in Jesus Christ. So we're living daily in the consciousness of our union with him. And God has been opening our eyes wider, hasn't he, during our series, Soul Wars. And our eyes have been opened to the reality of what's going on all around us every day. There's a very real war happening between darkness and light. There's nothing fairy tale about it. It's happening right now. And it, when you realize that darkness is trying to hinder you, trying to hinder your progress in Christ, trying to keep you from moving forward into all that he has for you, things begin to change when you realize that darkness is trying to get you to believe, to put your faith in anyone or anything other than Jesus, you, can, you become smart. So we're on the lookout for temptation for us to trust in someone or something else other than Jesus. Because in this warfare going on between darkness and light, there's only one remedy, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. So our eyes are fixed on Jesus. I think of our dog, Christmas, and she's in the living room at home. And we've got these sliding doors you can see out the back, and all of a sudden she'll jump up, tail straight out, and her eyes are fixed on something out there. And nothing can take them off. She's like, you know? She senses something. Well, we, we sense the darkness, but more importantly, we sense that the greater one is inside of us, right? And our eyes are fixed on him. 
right? We're fixed on him. He's the remedy. He's the answer. Faith in Jesus overcomes darkness. Isn't that what 1 John 5, 4 and 5 say? Faith in Jesus. Let's put that up there. 1 John 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Are you born of him? Come on. Really? Yes, you are, if you've put your faith in Jesus. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Next verse. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes. What? That Jesus is. That Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he's the will of God. That he's God in the flesh. Move back so you guys can see that. As long as I don't fall off the bridge here. All right. That Jesus is who he says he is, right? Only those who exalt Jesus above what they've been through. Hosea 4, 6. Eden, if you would please. Only those who are willing to exalt Jesus above what they've been through. Are you willing to do that? God revealed something to us in Hosea 4, 6. It's very enlightening. He says, my people are destroyed. Now, we know who the destroyer is, right? Is it Jesus? Of course not. How do you, how do you know that? Because I say so? Jesus says so, right? Who's the destroyer? Satan. We know that because we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? Not on man's religious philosophies. Jesus is the healer, not the destroyer. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Man, this, is, this will set you free. Lack of knowledge of him, right? Of who Jesus really is. I grew up in a church, beautiful cathedral, beautiful uh, high ceilings and stained glass windows, and I didn't know who he really was. Right. I, I saw the pictures of him along the wall carrying the cross, and I saw the stained glass windows, and they were beautiful, but I didn't know him, right. and it didn't help me at all. My people perish, and I, I notice he's talking about his people. Not the world, not those who don't know him. He's talking the people that's sitting in church. The people that already have confessed him as Lord. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, knowledge of who I really am. Well, what determines our knowledge of him? New. Good guess, though. What we believe. If we were going to draw a pyramid of you, on the very bottom, the foundation would be your beliefs. The next level would be your values. And the very top is your actions. The very, the very point, tippy top of the iceberg or the pyramid. So what determines our knowledge of God? It's what we believe. Well, what did God's people believe that led them into destruction? 
wrong things about God? How did they come to believe wrong things about the one who's, who's perfect? By listening to the wrong voices. If you're listening to the wrong voices, you're going to believe the wrong things. Great example of this was in Exodus 32. God's people were just months out of being delivered out of centuries of bondage. You imagine that. Centuries, hundreds of years of slavery. They're just months out of God moving powerfully in their lives. And the man that God called to lead them, whose name was Moses, is meeting with God on the mountain. And he's been there 40 days. And let's shed the light on how Satan operates. So if you imagine that your leader's not visible for 40 days. You've just come out of slavery. You're months out of bondage. For generations, you've been in bondage. Powerful delivery. But now months have passed, and now your leader's gone for 40 days in this cloud on a mountain. And what does Satan begin to do? He begins to whisper in their ears. And Aaron was in charge in Moses' absence. And I, I bet you Satan said something like this to Aaron. Where'd Moses go? It's not been one week. It's not been two weeks. It's been almost six weeks, and he hasn't come back. What happened to him? Look at you. You're out here in the middle of nowhere. You've got all these people. What are you doing? And I, I bet you Satan started whispering to God's people things like this. It's been too long. Right. Turn back. This, you shouldn't be here. It shouldn't have happened this way. It's taking too long. Do, do those voices sound familiar to anybody else? Have you ever heard voices like that? Guess who that is? That's not your, your father speaking, right? It's the father of lies speaking. And what happened? They listened to him. Exodus 32, we're not going to go there for time's sake. But they listened to the wrong voices. And then eventually, as you're listening, you're going to begin to say what those voices are saying. Right. And they came to Aaron, and that's what they said. They said, we don't know what's happened to Moses. You don't know what's happened to him. He's meeting with God. <laughs> they said, if you read it, it's amazing. They, they don't even mention God in their frustration. They said, we don't know what's happened to Moses. You need to make us gods that we can worship. And that's what they did. They fashioned their own gods. And that's what happens when you listen to the wrong voices. You make your own gods. You begin to look other places for, for, for strength, for courage, for provision, instead of to the one who made you. Hallelujah. But if you will look to Jesus alone, if you are willing to shed the years of religious tradition and take Jesus at his word and meditate on it, abide in it, let it abide in you, guaranteed you will come to a place in your life when you know your Father's voice. And the voice of a stranger you will not follow. 
You will come to a place when you will know your Father's will and no one or nothing can move you off of it. Sadly, the percentage of Christians in the body of Christ today that actually do this is far too low. Instead, what I've seen in the last 26 years is so many believers basing what they believe about God on what they've been through. And I've seen so many who were going strong for God in the right direction, and something happened that the enemy struck, and they, be, they turned around, and they went back to Egypt. They changed what they believe about God because of what happened to them or to someone they love, failing to realize that Satan is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Are you willing to exalt Jesus Christ above what you've been through and take him as he is, the way, the truth, and the life? What's the, what's the benefit of keeping our eyes on Jesus? Can you put 2 Corinthians 2.11? What's the benefit of shedding years of religious tradition and just taking Jesus at his word in order that Satan might not outwit us? I like how it says that there in 2 Corinthians. Right? For we don't want Satan to take advantage of us. No one likes to be con. And the worst thing about being con is, is if you don't realize it when it's happening and after the fact you realize what's been stolen from you. Satan is, right? He's the con of cons, isn't he? Right? God doesn't ever con anybody. Isn't that great? There's nothing shifty about our Father. There's nothing unclear about Jesus. He won't con you. He's the real deal. So we keep our eyes focused on Jesus so Satan can't con us. Right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we've been, we've been learning a lot during our Soul Wars series, and we're going to get into some amazing stuff today, and we're going to finish next Sunday. But we've, in our, in our looking at Jesus, we've seen something about him that's imperative to winning this war, and that's realizing that Jesus came for two reasons. I'd say there are many that don't understand this, but that he came, number one, as our substitute. And number two, he came as our example. And it's very important to understand the difference between the two. He was fulfilling two roles. The first role as our substitute, no one else could ever have done. He's completely unique. He's the one and only Lamb of God. He's the one and only Son of God. Only he could pay full price for our sins. Jesus was our substitute in all that he bore for us on the cross, and all that he bore for us on the cross, he did so that we don't have to bear. All right? But as our example, he was not meant to be completely unique. He was meant to be the firstborn among many brothers. Right? Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That's us. Jesus is our example, right? That he might be the firstborn among many. See, Jesus is our example. He was meant to be the template that we are made of. 
right, that we're born from. So now if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're co-laborer with Christ. He's your elder brother. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. That's Jesus as our example. He's saying those who put their faith in me are going to be just like me. They're going to do what I've done, right? They're going to they're going to heal the sick, set people free, preach the good news. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So our series has led us into this uh, revelation of authority, this life changing. And we've learned, as a, we've learned that, that God made man, he made you in his image. Very important to understand that. That will change your perspective of yourself. When you realize you're made in his image, and we cannot deny this, God gave man authority over the earth. And guess what? He never took it back. God doesn't give as the world gives. When God gives, it's yours, period. What you do with it's up to you. But he's not, he doesn't give as the world gives. When he gives it, he gives it. That's how he operates. Important to understand that. So he gave man authority over the earth, and he never took that back. And we saw that man listened to the wrong voices and ended up doing what uh, God's people did in Exodus 32. He, he, he put his faith in another one, right? He put his faith in Satan. And whether he realized that the effects of that or not, what he did is he gave the authority that God had given him to Satan. Satan seized the authority, the sovereignty over the earth that God gave to man. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus to the earth and to the cross to bear our sins for us and to take back the authority that Satan stole from him and give it back to you today. Let's look at Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, you're alive from the dead. Isn't that awesome? You're a resurrected one. Woo, boy. I was dead and now I live. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us 75% of our sin. I'm sorry, what's it? All, I couldn't see that. All, He forgave us all our sins, 100% of them. Having canceled forever, right? The written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Why does the Bible talk so much about authority? He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Are you ready for another translation of that in the New Century Version? God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. Where did they get that authority from? Adam, man, God never gave it to them. Very important to understand. Are you ready for another translation? Can you handle this one? Message, he stripped 
all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority. Why was it a sham? It never belonged to them. They stole it. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority. He didn't do this for himself. God's never lacked authority. His throne has never been challenged. He is and always has been and forever shall be God. He stripped them of the authority they stole from Adam so he could give it back to you today. Hallelujah. Put up Romans 5.17 there in the Weymouth. I think this is the best description, one of the best you're going to find in the Scriptures of what happened in Genesis. This is Romans 5.17 in the Weymouth translation. And you know, you can always snap a photo of these if, and then take them home with you if you want to. If you don't, what's that scripture? Just snap a photo of it and take it home and look it up. For if through the transgression of the one individual, death made use of the one one. Who's the one individual? Adam, right? So let's read it. For if through the transgression of Adam, you understand? Right? Death, who's that? Satan, right? So if through the transgression of Adam, Satan made use of Adam... So when Satan came to to Adam and Eve in the garden, he had a strategy, right? It wasn't to make them his best friends, right? He wasn't concerned about what they were having for dinner, right? He had a strategy to do this, to seize the sovereignty over the earth that God gave them. He's being exposed, isn't he? Right here in our lives, right? He had a strategy to seize the sovereignty that God gave to them. He wanted it. He wanted to be God of the earth. But Jesus came, right? All the more, in other words, what Jesus did is infinitely greater than what Satan did in the garden. All the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness reign as kings in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. All the more shall those who receive God's overflowing grace and gift of righteousness reign as sovereigns in life through the one individual, Jesus Christ. That word dominion that we saw in Genesis, remember, means authority or sovereignty, jurisdiction over. God has given you jurisdiction over the devil and all of his junk. God has given you jurisdiction over the earth, over darkness. Hallelujah. Now we understand why Jesus, the moment before he ascended back unto the Father, after he had spent over three years with his disciples, went to hell, died for us, rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples for 40 days. His very last words of all the things he could have chosen to say to them, this is what he said, Matthew 28. He spoke to them about authority. 
Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority. Why was that the last thing the perfect one chose to say to them? Well, it's like the first thing that God chose to say about man in Genesis 1.26. He brought us back. The very first words that God, the perfect one, ever spoke about man were these. Let us make man in our image and let him have dominion. Jesus came to restore us to our rightful place on the earth. And all of creation is groaning, waiting for you to stand up and take your place in Christ Jesus. And we're doing that now. Hallelujah. Let's look at the whole verse. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. In other words, I'm, I'm delegating this to you. I'm giving this authority to you. Go now into the earth in the authority I'm giving you and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of. That's a term of authority. Anytime you see that in the name of Jesus, why is it that our salvation comes by declaring Jesus as Lord? It's a matter of authority. It's huge. Your dead spirit being made alive is a question of whose authority you're under. That if I declare Jesus as Lord with my mouth, Jesus as the authority over my being, and I believe in my heart in what God did, I'm saved. It's authority. Hallelujah. So walking now, this is where we were, walking in our God-given authority is an essential part of a vibrant relationship with God. And it's all but absent from so many believers' lives. It's the very last words Jesus left his disciples with. It was the very first words that God ever spoke about man. I'd say it's pretty important. Walking in your God-given authority. So we see from the last words of Jesus that we've, we're on a mission now. So our whole perspective about our time on earth has changed. We know now that time on earth is not a picnic, right? We're not discouraged by what's going on in the world. We recognize we're in the center of a battlefield. And we're not here to play nicey-nicey with the devil. Right? We're here on a mission to conquer for Jesus Christ. To take authority over the darkness to make disciples of every nation. So now this is our frame of reference when we get up in the morning. Not living the American dream. Not paying the bills. But the mission God has called us to. We're mission-minded people. 
Don't ever again think of a missionary as someone who goes to another country. That could be a missionary. A missionary is someone who's realized the mission that God has called them to. And the missions God's called to you to right here in this region of the world is to make disciples. To be, to be living vessels of his person. To be walking conduits of his presence everywhere we go. That's our mission. So we get up in the morning and we're living in this daily consciousness of our union with him because it's our mission. It's our mission everywhere we go to let his presence flow through us, to let the light of Christ change and impact and influence our atmosphere and those we come in contact with. We're mission-minded. We're missionaries. You're a missionary. The moment you make Jesus your Lord, you've become a missionary. Now here's, are you ready? You got your seatbelts on now, don't you? You need to bring those when you come the highway church. Hallelujah. So on this mission to show forth the excellencies of Christ in the earth, his chosen people, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, I want you to notice something. Jesus gave his disciples authority to make disciples of Jesus and authority to heal. Let's look at this. I want you to notice this. Matthew chapter 10. Authority to heal? Huh? What does authority have to do with healing? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority. I want you to understand this word authority in the Greek here is exousia. Well, what well, big deal. What does that mean? Well, listen. Authority, in some translations, your, tra- your Bible translation might say power. Anyone have one that says power, gave them power? Well, there are two words that are translated authority or power predominantly in the New Testament. One is this word here, exousia. It means authority. The, the, the predominant connotation is legal jurisdiction over. All right? The other word that's translated power, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and and, and power shall come upon you when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's the word dunamis, like dynamite. That's, That's ability and strength. A good way to think of that, the difference between authority and power. When a police officer in full uniform walks out into an intersection and you're coming in your car and he does this, what do you do? Foot goes to the brake, right? Do you do that because he's strong enough to stop your car? Of course not, right? It's not because his physical strength is greater than the momentum of your vehicle. You stop because he has the authority to stop you. That's exousia. Now, if the Incredible Hulk came out in the middle of the intersection, he has dunamis. You'd stop. Because of his dunamis, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive dunamis, the power of God. Here he's talking about exousia. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to step in the middle of it all and say, stop. 
And they stop not because of your biceps. They stop because of the authority of the throne of heaven. That's the badge you wear. But now wait a minute. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal. Authority to heal. Authority to heal every kind of disease. What? Uh, Come on, are your religious glasses on or off? If they're on, take them off. Get them off. Might as well step on them. You don't need them. And to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Wait a minute. What does authority have to do with physical health? Everything. Now, thank God for for anyone who has devoted their life to help make people well. I grew up in a medical family with a pharmacist, a physician, uh, and I heard, you know, anything that happened in our lives underwent an immediate diagnosis. And my dad had access to any drug or medication I could ever want in whatever, I, I was a very sick child. And boom, as soon as something came, he came home with a bag of stuff, you know. He had access to anything he wanted. In all the discussions I've heard in the world regarding physical health, I have yet to hear someone in the world talking about the answer to physical health and bringing authority into the equation. Come on. We're just reading the Bible. I'm not trying to find fault with anyone. Man does the best he can do, and thank God for that. But Jesus doesn't talk about any of that. He's talking about authority. Authority to cause others to be healthy. This is huge. Now I'm going to share with you what I shared at the end of the uh, last Sunday. I said I'll share with you. I, I have so many examples. We don't have enough days in a year to share them. But I'm just going to share one that came to mind as we were here last Sunday. A little simple one from my life. You need authority to be whole, to be healthy. You need authority to grab hold of the healing Christ has provided for you, and you need authority to keep it. So there may be some here who have never brought authority into the equation of health. I mean, the the common things, obviously, your diet, exercise, what are you eating, what caused this, your lifestyle, all those things. And I understand man's perspective. But I'm telling you, there's a greater reality, and it's found in Jesus. And it's the authority we've been given. How much time we got here? Oh, boy. All right. And I understand where I'm coming from. So I grew up very sick, a number of problems. Uh, With my respiratory system, it seemed like when the wind would blow or change direction, I'd be down on my back. Hard to breathe, you know. Uh, I remember as a kid going to Pittsburgh Children's Hospital, ended up going to hospitals a lot. All the tests they're running on me and the allergies I had, and you're, they got this wrong, they got that with you, blah, 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 you know. I didn't know anything, didn't know anything about Jesus, nor did my family, other than those pictures we saw on the wall on Sundays. 
And, and my lungs just, and my bronchial tubes, my, my respiratory system had a hard time with air, <laughs> which is a problem because we need that to live. And uh, dust was a problem for me, which is around uh, everywhere you go. A number of things. And then I found out when I was 17, I had an abnormal disc in my lower spine that cracked. And that was a problem, right? And my dad took me to one of the Pittsburgh Steelers physicians in, in Pittsburgh. I mean, I had the access to the top guys. And, you know, and they did a, uh, all the tests they did on me, and they said, well, you've got an abnormal disc in your spine. You're 17. We don't want to take it out. We don't want to replace it with an artificial one because of your age. So, you know, we're just going to have to try and rehabilitate this through physical therapy and so forth. And I met a great physical therapist, and I'm not knocking any of these things. All right? We're thankful for anyone who's devoted their life to help making people well. Amen. That's valid. Amen. All right? This is not Christian science. Christian science is what's known as a cult. Very important to understand. They deny sickness. Right? They, they say sickness is not real. All right? We're not Christian scientists. Okay, we, 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 we thank God for physicians, physical therapists, and nurses, and all those who devoted their time to this. But anyway, fast forward here so I, we can get through this. I'm not going to go into any of those examples. I'll go into any, a more recent example. I've been healed of everything I ever had through what I'm sharing with you by taking authority over my body and telling my spine to be whole. But I don't know how long ago this was, maybe five years ago, or maybe longer, this, this pain started developing in between my shoulders, right behind my uh, left shoulder blade. And at first, it was just kind of, you know, I was like, okay, I just, I didn't pay much attention to it, you know. But as the months went on, this thing started to grow and become really aggravating. And there are times it felt like something was going to pop in, in my upper back. It's not related to the, the lower back. This was something totally unrelated. And it was up in here. And it got very acute and painful at times. And sometimes it felt like there was nerves. Like I had, I had nerve issues when I was 17, 18. I know what that felt like in the back. And something was going on in there. And I, you know, I just kept going and all years passed by. And I got to the point I had enough. And, you know, over the years, I mean, it became very obvious. I'd be, I couldn't sit straight and we'd be visiting family. They'd say things about it and you know, one, one family member and the nurse, she's, and, and she, she said, well, we're going to get you uh, some, uh, to go to a massage. And we're going to do, we're trying to help, you know, trying to, how, how, what we can do, what can we do to alleviate this pain you have? And I appreciate all that. And I could have gone different routes with it. I could have, you know, had tests done. I could have uh, gone through physical therapy, massage therapy, seen a chiropractor or whatever. But I'm abiding in this, and I've been abiding in this and come through so much, and I've seen it work so many times in my life. I'm not leaving it for anything else. So when you're abiding in him and you know the things that we're going to get into, boy, we're going to finish this next week, you respond differently to things. So I remember sitting at my desk, and it just got to the point, I said, this is enough. Enough is enough. And I said, no more. Who did I say that to? I said it to my back, and I said it to every, anything within hearing of me. Right. I said, shoulders, you're whole. 
I do not allow this to continue in my body for one moment longer. In Jesus' name. And that was the end of it. I didn't have to go that route. There's a lot of other avenues I could have explored. But I knew what I'm sharing with you today. I took authority over it. And listen, when you take authority over a criminal, he's going to try and get out of it. There were times after that the symptoms would come back. You know what I said? Answer's still no. I haven't changed my mind. You're not allowed to operate this way anymore in my shoulders. And they've never felt better. And now they're loose again. I can move them freely again. They're limber and flexible again. Because of the authority Jesus gave us. What is it in your life that you need to take authority over? So how do we, how, how did I get to that place? You don't just all of a sudden wake up and decide to do this. When you're facing a wanted criminal, you've got to know the authority you have. How do you get to the place where you can exercise your authority with certainty in your life? It doesn't work if you're not certain of it. Satan's not playing. He knows if you believe it or not, and he will challenge you. So how do we get to this place when we can stand up and say no more in my life in the name of Jesus? Body, you are well. Respiratory system, you inhale perfectly and you exhale perfectly in the name of Jesus Christ. Body, I forbid you to be allergic to anything in the name of Jesus. is a whole different approach to health. I'm telling you, and I understand that. Nevertheless, you'll find it in Jesus. How do you get to this place where you take authority over your body? Authority over things that would come against you. There is only one way. Faith. It is by Faith in Jesus. Not man's religious Jesus, but the same Jesus that walked in Galilee. Hebrews 11.1. Still awake over there? Okay, yeah. There's no need for me to create my own definition of faith. God has defined it perfectly for us. Hebrews 11.1. What is faith? Don't religify this word. Don't do that. Faith is being sure. 
You know who's not sure? Barney Fife. Have you ever watched Andy Griffith? There's a good example of authority that's unsure, right? I mean, he'll go after those, uh, you know, little elderly women crossing the street for jaywalking, right? He's all bold when he does. He's, there's some, you don't want to be a Barney Fife Christian. Devil is going to laugh at you, right? You know how Barney does, you know. You don't want to be like that. So that's not faith. Barney Fife is not faith. Faith is not being Barney Fife. Faith is being sure. Andy Griffith is sure. I like watching that guy. He's sure. <laughs> How do you define faith? Andy Griffith. Okay. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So what's faith? Being sure and certain. According to God. According to the Bible's definition, if I'm not sure and certain, it's not faith. Long before what I shared what happened to my back, back in the mid-90s, I spent a good four to six months becoming sure of my authority. I studied the scriptures diligently regarding what I'm sharing with you 20 years ago or so. And it gave me confidence to stand up and say things to my body that I could not have said otherwise. Look at this translation. And then we're going to close here. And we're going to get into more of this next week. Hallelujah. Yeah, this is so good. All right. This is the Weymouth translation. Now faith is a well-grounded. It takes time to be well-grounded. It takes meditating in the Word to be well-grounded. Not meditating in man's philosophies. Not meditating in your circumstances. Not meditating on what you've been through. But meditating in who He is. Now faith is a well-grounded assurance. It's a foundation in Him. A well-grounded assurance of that for which we hope and a conviction of the reality of things which we do not see. I had a well-grounded assurance that Jesus bore the pains that I was experiencing in my shoulders. It was well-grounded. I studied it out. I knew it. I knew that I was not to be bearing this, although I had been for years, and I could have for the rest of my life. But I had a well-grounded assurance that grew from meditating, not in man's religion, but in the promises of Christ. It's a well-grounded assurance. Eden, would you put up Matthew eleven twelve? 12? We're going to bring this to a conclusion next Sunday. Look at what Jesus said here. I've just got to, we've got to talk about this, right? We've got to, we've got to, it's all right to be shocked by the truth, isn't it? It'll set you free. This is Jesus talking. He's the one our eyes are fixed on. He said from the days of John the Baptist until now, he said this when he was on the earth, right? The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing 
I thought God could do whatever he wanted in the world. What's a po- something is opposing God in the earth. The kingdom of heaven, it had to forcefully advance. Why? Satan's the god of this world. We're in a battlefield. You have to forcefully advance when you have an enemy who's opposing you. And forceful men lay hold of it. Forceful. Yes, that's what another translation says. The violent seize it by force. You have to take what Christ has provided for you by force. Not because God's keeping it from you, because Satan is trying to hinder you from receiving it. I had to take the health of my shoulders that Christ provided for me by force with authority. Because Satan didn't want me to have it. And I guarantee you there's something like that in your life right now, whether you realize it or not. You take authority over it. So this is what we're going to do. Yes. How does that authority come? How do, you be, how do you get this sure? It's very simple. Yes, faith. By listening to the right voices. Voices that will teach you three things. Who God really is. What he's done for you in Christ. And who you are in him. By listening to voices, and this is the best one you're going to find, right here, the Holy Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. How do you become sure? How do you you build into your life a well-grounded assurance so that you can speak to what you need to speak to? By listening to the right voices that tell you who God really is what he's done for you through Christ and who you've become in Christ. So next week, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go through scriptures on those three things. And I'm going to give you a scripture next week that will completely change your life for the rest of your life. It's another shocker. It's another shocker. So bring your seatbelts. I wish I could. If I start now, we're going to be here for a while. All right? Absolutely life-changing for the rest of your life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in us right now. We are being transformed now. We are being changed now. You have opened the door to a new level of living. Your word has gone forward. Holy Spirit, you are quickening us. You're opening our eyes. You're causing us to step up to go forward and to go forward in you. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.